our daughter Rebecca doesn't see. I don't know. She may have changed. We haven't spoken about it for a long time, but our daughter Rebecca doesn't uh, see why any Christian song that uh, that has that's uh, older than 20 years old should be sung. I, and uh, she's just dead wrong about that one. We were just saying. <laughs> You know, one of the, and, and once again, thank you for accommodating me sitting up here in this chair like this. You know, I, I don't know, think I could stand uh, through as long as I preach, but uh, um, so thank you for accommodating me this way. Uh, but one of, the, uh, one of the tremendous things about this life that we've been called into, uh, this Christian life, is uh, is how we how we can rely on the promises of God. You know, it's such a big part of it. We we and I don't you know I don't believe in uh, claiming promises as if that's what activates them. You know that they're not good until you claim it. I, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about relying on the promises of God. And you you have your favorites. I know you do. But just here, so how about how about this one? What if the Hebrews 13. Hebrews, yes. How about that one? It's in the Old Testament. It's quoted from the Old Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. You, know, you, just, you just lean into that at times in your life, don't you? I will never leave you uh, nor forsake you. How about this? We, we talked about this uh, just not long ago, the next one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Boy, you just you need that sometimes, don't you? You just, you just uh, press into that and you, you think, I don't understand how my circumstances fit into that right now, but there it is. And that's a promise. That's a promise. Look at this one. If you ask, it's Jesus speaking. I don't know why the letters aren't red, but that's Jesus speaking. <laughs> if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Anything. Wow. You know, uh, chief among the, those are some of ours, but if we had lived in the Old Testament era, uh, one of the most dearly held divine promises or not one of them, but a whole class of, of them, really, uh, would be those promises that are, you can take that down, related to the, to the nation of Israel. It'd be, it'd be more collective, less individualistic. You know. it, it, they, would be, uh, they would be that God has promised to make us a great nation. He's promised to give us the land. You know, he's promised a certain amount of land you know, that, or a certain piece of real estate on the earth. And, you know, they, that's, what, that's what it would be. At the end of Passover, what, what do they say at the end of Passover, the Jewish people in the Passover? Say, next year, what? Next year, let's do this again? Next year in Jerusalem, right? Next year in Jerusalem. And, you know, they, they come at it honestly. Uh, you know, it starts, it starts in Genesis chapter 12, as far, as far as I can see. Now the Lord said to Abram, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and from and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you 
and I will make you, I will make of you a great nation. He's just one person. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this, as you go through the scriptures, this, uh, the, the, this promise is given more and more and more specificity. There are more details added to that. Like, like in just a, a few chapters here, Genesis 15, 8, I just, I've not really picked all of them. We can walk through them, just, just uh, some of them. But uh, 15, 18, 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with, with uh, Abram saying, to your offspring I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the, the uh, river Euphrates, uh, the, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, and the, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. You know, wherever those people, you know, it, it, I'm not here to, prepared to say where all those places were, where all those peoples were, but it's a certain piece of real estate, isn't it? Real estate. It's a real place, real land. Promises given more and more specificity as we go forward in history. It really picks up a lot more specificity to King David, Israel's greatest king, right? Israel's greatest king, King David. This is here's what the Lord's promised uh, to King David. Second Samuel chapter seven. Let me find it here so I don't, I'm not reading it off the screen. When your days are fulfilled, King David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. You remember King David wanted to build a temple, but he's not allowed to, but he's, his son will. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. It's a kingdom. It's a great nation, going to have a king, and it is going to be established forever. And the promise is not just to Abraham for that land, but to his descendants, his offspring. I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And skipping down to verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me, your throne shall be established forever. Forever. Now David had a son who built a house uh, for the Lord, Solomon's temple. But how about the kingdom? How, did it last forever? Was the throne established for, forever? Well, after, after Solomon, the kingdom is divided. It's not even... You know, so, so uh, David's son inherited the kingdom, Solomon, but his grandchildren, by the time his grandchildren come along, it's, it's gone. The ten northern tribes, they, they, they split off. They take Damascus as their capital. Uh, 721 B.C., the, the, that kingdom, that northern kingdom that took the name Israel was destroyed, uh, uh, defeated by Assyria. It's a judgment of God on, on the nation. But it's destroyed by Assyria. They're, uh, 
they're, they're taken into cap captivity. What was left of the kingdom is the southern kingdom, the, the two tribes, and they will go by the name of Judah. But it lasted another century or so. 605 B.C., Jerusalem is sacked by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The, the temple, Solomon's temple, is destroyed. The city is destroyed. The whole, the whole city is destroyed. Uh, and so the, the nation is effectively obliterated. Uh, as, you, as you may know, the, the, the practice, that what, what Babylon did, and this is, this is what the Assyrians did too, they would, they would take uh, some of the, the cultural leaders, the best, the brightest, the, you know, the wealthy ones, you know, the important people, they'd carry them away into captivity, into wherever they, you know, Babylon in this case. And they would, and as far as the population that was left, they would seed it with, uh, with their own native population, with Babylonians, you know, so that they would, and so there'd be over years, there'd be intermingling, there'd be intermarrying, and it would effectively kind of destroy the culture. And that's what happened there. Uh, you, you remember the, the uh, Samaritans in the, in the Gospels, the Samaritans, they were the, you know, the dreaded, the hated Samaritans that they looked down on. Well, they were, they were the descendants of uh, the, the, the northern tribes. They were the, 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 well, the, the, um, they were the descendants of those who had been uh, taken by Assyria. And the, the Assyrians moved in. And, and as you see, they kind of had a hybrid religion. They kind of had a, they, they, you know, it really was effectively destroyed, the, the Jewish culture in, the, in their case. Uh, so with all of that, you know, the kingdom's gone, the nation's gone, the temple's gone, there's no king, there's no government, there's no army, there's no anything. What has happened to the promises of God? To you and your descendants, I've given this land, you know, where all this people live and that people live and that people live. It's all yours, I'm going to give it to you, to you and your descendants. King David, there's gonna, you're, you're, when you lie down with your fathers, your son after you is going to rise up after you, and, and, you, and the, I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. What happened to that? And this is the historical setting uh, in the Old Testament of the book of, of Daniel. That's it. Uh, among those... Among those taken into captivity were Daniel and his three friends. Of course, there were hundreds and thousands of, but you know, of people. But among them were Daniel and his his three friends. You remember his three friends? In Daniel chapter three, you know, three boys in the furnace: Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Is that what you'd have said? I should have just asked you their names. What's their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, that's their pagan names. Those are their pagan names. Their Jewish names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They had names, and I won't take the time to you know, say what each of them means, but because I don't have it memorized, and I'd have to look it up. But, but they had names that referenced and honored the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the new names are names that reference and honor the gods, the false gods, of Babylonian culture. Yeah, uh, 
Daniel, Daniel's name has changed new. You remember Daniel? Daniel means God is judge. Yahweh, the one true God is judge. Anybody remember his pagan name? Belteshazzar. May Bel protect the king. Bel being the, you know, the uh, name of the false god. May Bel protect the king. So they, they change their names. You know, they're wiping out. They're just trying to wipe out their, their, uh, their culture, their religion. And these four are put into the king's service. These four specifically, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to use your name that you pagans like to, you know. Um, they're put into the king's service. And as such, may very well have been made eunuchs, in other words, castrated, to be safe to serve in that capacity for the king of Babylon. Daniel, the book of Daniel doesn't say so. But it was very commonly done to slaves. It was a very common practice with slaves. Of course, we know Daniel never married, you know. There, a little bit more evidence along those lines. Daniel chapter one, which we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna look at chapter two today in the minutes we have left. But um, they they were put in the charge of Ashpenaz. Daniel chapter chapter one says was the chief eunuch. He was the chief eunuch. Well, it kind of stands to reason, doesn't it? You know, if they're put in the charge of the chief eunuch, where the what's he chief of? Well, he's chief of Daniel and his three friends, among, the, among others. And then there's this prophecy of Isaiah uh, to King Hezekiah. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask uh, David to put it up on the screen today, so I'll just read it. But listen to this, because I don't want you, this is not the main thing today, but, I just, but listen to this. This is 2 Kings 20, 16 through 18, if you want to write down the reference. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I almost read that and think, well, who could that be other than Daniel and his friends? So you think about this, and these three these devout young men, Daniel and his friends, these these devout young men. And think about put yourself in their shoes for a moment. What have what has happened to the promises of God. It's, you, can you see where you'd be tempted to say, well, they're, they just come to nothing. They've come to nothing because nothing's left. They've been emasculated. They've been obliterated. And... No nation, no king, no land, no temple, no sacrifices, no Shekinah glory. And I wonder if there are times in your life when you can identify 
Because you don't walk around thinking next year in Jerusalem. But you do think the Lord promised he would never leave me or forsake me. And you feel pretty alone sometimes. I mean, even Jesus at a time when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your faith isn't stronger than his. Mine isn't. Or all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love him. When you look at the circumstances that, that are way heavy on your mind, and you can't see it. You can't see it. You know, we've talked about this before, and I won't go into it again, but I don't think you should, Christians should ever call the bad thing good or even think they ought to call the bad thing good. But even just working together, how can good come out of this situation? How can what's happening now, how can this thing that has happened, how can it be necessary for some good to come about? How can that be? There are people who that that are whose life they're believers who have a hard time seeing how that can be true. That God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What about that the last example I used? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Boy, there are times when you want to, how can that be true? What's happened to the promises? So in a way, you, 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 you kind of understand where, you know, the, the, how the promises of God, you know, in the time of Daniel and in his life and the life of his three friends, uh, it, it, they... Uh, how their faith would be tested, at least, right? Now, the, the, uh, the circumstances of Daniel's life, that's what makes his abiding faith in God's promises uh, so impressive. You know, one thing, when you read through the book of Daniel, yeah, they called him Belteshazzar, they gave him a pagan name. He never, to him himself, he never stopped being Daniel. His identity is Daniel. Not Belteshazzar. He's, uh, he never stopped praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He never stopped praying to the God of his fathers. And you, when you, in Daniel chapter 6, you know, the Daniel and the lion's den, uh, Daniel chapter 6, you know what, uh, what got him in trouble was praying, right? Praying uh, three times a day. And do you remember, do you, what was distinctive about his, his praying? He prayed before a window. You remember that about the window? What, what was about the window? Anybody remember? Facing Jerusalem. Hundreds of miles away. He can't see it from the window, but he's praying toward Jerusalem. What's that say? God's promise. 
is intact. I don't understand how it's going to happen. I certainly don't understand when it's going to happen. I don't understand how what's happened to the nation now. What's happened to me, Daniel could say. I don't understand how that fits into it. But I'm praying before the window facing Jerusalem. Well, Daniel chapter 2. And you, in the Latin, you know, we've got 25 minutes or so here, the 20 minutes. I hope, and you do too. But uh, Daniel chapter 2, if you want to look up in your Bible, Daniel chapter 2, and you'll want to stay there because this is where we'll be. And I'm gonna, I'm, we're not going to read this whole chapter, but I want to read <coughs> portions of it. Excuse me. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation." The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your house, houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So on top of everything else, Daniel has a volatile impulsive boss right is <laughs> and you know what's go you know what's going on here he's uh, he says tell me the dream and its interpretation you know he's got these uh spiritual advisors you know these kind of these are the kind of guys that study chicken entrails and tell the future and things like that and and he nebuchadnezzar thinks you know what these are well-fed well-paid guys in the administration they, they, but they seem like charlatans to me. They're just shysters. They're, you know, they got nothing. They're just showmen and fakers and frauds. Now, if they could tell me my dream, that would be something. But if I tell the dream, they'll come up with something. You know, they'll spin it up some kind of way, and you know, they'll they'll tell me something about what it means. So he said, so I'm not going to tell them the dream this time. They're they're going to have to tell me the dream. Or else, you know, I'll just do away with them. Skipping down to verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, that's kind of Nebuchadnezzar's point. You say, well, if you could tell me the dream, then I know you that you have some resources. Some, you know, you have some sort of uh, insight into the secret things. Daniel and his friends are in this class of people. They're not present at there. They're not one of those that come before the king at this point. But they would be included in the ones that ne that Nebuchadnezzar is going to do away with, kill all of them. So, verse seventeen. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. 
and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and, and might and have now made known to me what we asked you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So, Dan, so the Lord answered Daniel. He answered the prayers of the, of the boys, the, the young men. He reveals to Daniel this, uh, the dream. And look at Daniel's prayer after this. Look at his prayer and how his prayer affirms his, his faith. Look at verse, verse, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He's in control. I, you know, that just, just a small point here. Maybe not such a small point, though. You're, you're up against it. How can, this, how can all things be working to good for the, my good in this situation? Or why is he not answering my prayer? He said, if I ask anything in his name, he'll, he'll do it. Or I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I don't, I don't have it. Pray the truths. Pray the truths you're tempted to doubt. He says, God is the one who, he reminds himself, he, he, he prays. You're the one who sets up kings and removes kings. So, anyway, that's, uh, this, moving on. Verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king and made in haste and said, to, and, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles of from Judah. There's, this is great, isn't it? I found somebody, King Nebuchadnezzar. I found a guy. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the, king's, the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay, oh, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, 
came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, that you may, be, that you may know what the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, you saw, O king, and behold a great image. The, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff, like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into the, whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness, but some of, the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now, this is just what happened. Babylon was replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire, now, Daniel is going to live to see it. Daniel is going to live to see the, the changeover from the Babylonian kingdom to the, to the Medo-Persian kingdom because it's a, Daniel chapter 6 is in the next government. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to live to see it. But Daniel will. And you see this, this great statue, you know, it's, it's the head of gold, the breast and arms of, of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and the iron, and the legs, iron and clay, all of that. It says, uh, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, after you from the gold to the silver is going to arise a kingdom inferior to yours. 
Well, how is it going to be inferior? It, it, it's not militarily, certainly. Or else how could it have succeeded Babylon? But it's inferior to, you know, the metal's inferior, but what, is that, what could that mean? Well, there is, a, uh, there is kind of a deep, well, this is what it could be. There's kind of a decentralization of uh, power and authority, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar is king, and what he says goes. He doesn't need to pass the law to have the, the Chaldeans torn limb from limb or anything from them, their houses made a trash heap. He just says it and does it. Well, when we get to the Medo-Persian uh, government, the, uh, uh, the Darius the Mede, he, he's bound by his own decree. He says that, that anyone who prays to any other god except except him is going to be thrown in the lion's den. Well, he's caught. They caught him with that. He had to obey his own, his own decree. And so, you, you know, this, this uh, growing uh, democracy. But Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia did, in fact, come after the Babylonian Empire. After that was the Greek, Greek Empire, Greece. Greece was replaced by Alexander the Great. Greece was replaced by the Roman Empire. And that takes us all the way up to the New Testament era. Israel was under, in the Gospels, Israel is under Roman occupation. That's the fourth kingdom. That's the kingdom of iron. Israel's Messiah was crucified by uh, the Roman government. Roman army, 70 AD, the Roman army will destroy the city and the sanctuary. But in this dream, now think of this, four kingdoms, right? But Nebuchadnezzar's dream is of one, one statue, one image. I, I, say, I keep saying statue because I think, I think in Daniel chapter 3, there's a statue that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. I think it's basically what he is, is trying to replicate what he sees here in his dream. But, uh, but surely Nebuchadnezzar, he would think of it as four kingdoms. You know, mine will end and another will begin and then that one will end and another will begin. But in the vision, God pictures it to Nebuchadnezzar as one entity. And what is that one entity? What is it? It's the world under the dominion of man apart from God. It's man's version of uh, uh, be, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth apart from God. It's human government apart from God. And so while Nebuchadnezzar, we see it as, you know, one empire ends, another one comes up in this image. To God, it's all of a piece. It's all of a piece. It's a change of administration. Sometimes, sometimes people will say, uh, the United States is not in biblical prophecy. The United States doesn't appear in biblical prophecy. What are we to make about that, make of that? Well, when I think of this, Daniel chapter 2, I think, well, yes, it is too. It's in that statue. <laughs> it's that statue. It's in that image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of because that's the government of man apart from God. That's, that's man running the world. And, the, and, the, and yes, it's the Babylonians, it's the Medo-Persians, it's, it's, it's the Assyrians before that. It's, it's Greek, Greece before that, it's Rome, it's, uh, it's the British Empire, it's the, and it's the American Empire. Some, some, uh, 
some critics of the of the Bible have found fault that uh, they find fault with the with the Bible itself here by saying, you know, when you look at all of the empires that have ever existed, you know, Babylon wasn't that great of shakes. They weren't the greatest and all, you know, all, you know, over all the earth and all that. So this is just this is this is just wrong. Well, this is a dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I. I, I think if, if this dream had been given to our president, he'd be the head of gold. And it'd be gold, that I can tell you. That I can tell you. <laughs> it's, this, it's, it's a picture, it's a vision of, the, of, the, the, of man running the world, the government of man over the world. And the point, and so it all stands at the same time, until what happens? Until what happens? A stone cut without hands. And what's it, you know, it's, it strikes me that that stone, is, in one way, is, a, is an inferior material still. Gold, silver, bronze, you know, iron, iron and clay, and then stone. Stone. Even less valuable in terms of the metal, right? But, but this is different because it's, it's cut without hands. What's that mean? divine origin it's it's of god and who is the stone what is the stone cut without hands who's the stone cut without hands the stone that the builders rejected you know we go babylon medo persia greece rome jesus the king of kings the lord of lords His, whose forerunner said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does it do? The stone cut without hands, it smashes the statue or the, the image at the feet and the whole thing turns to dust and it blows away the dust that they like like chaff on the summer threshing floor, it just blows away. It all comes down at once. And the stone cut without hands becomes a great mountain and fills the whole what? Earth. It replaces those kingdoms. They're gone. What's the message to Nebuchadnezzar? There is a coming kingdom to the earth. There's a coming kingdom. And by the way, the stone cut without hands is those that come down to the earth, take all the people that, that, that he wants to take and take them off to heaven and establish a kingdom off in heaven somewhere. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to the earth and fills the whole earth. Message to Nebuchadnezzar, there's a coming kingdom greater than every kingdom of man put together. And in God's view, they are put together. 
And by the way, there's a message to us in, in there as well that's along the same lines as, as the, one, the message to Nebuchadnezzar. If this is the way it's going to be, how much hope, how much, do we, how much of an invo- emotional investment, how much hope, how much faith do we place in the kingdom of man to make things right on the earth? What, what, what's going to be the end of it? It's going to blow away. It's going to, it's going to be replaced, supplanted by the kingdom of God, which fills the whole earth. And as for it, it's just going to, it's going to blow away. And, and I, I speak, and I say that not as some sort of rebel or not, not some, I, I say that as, as a patriot, as a patriot of the United States. I, I consider myself patriotic. But I have a higher citizenship. I have a longer lasting citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What's the message to Daniel? What's the message to Daniel? I know Daniel. Here's the message. I'll just paraphrase. I'll just kind of speak it out to you. Where God is saying to Daniel in this, the kingdom seems so. I, the kingdom seems so far away now. There's no. There's no land. There are no borders. There's no temple. There's no government. There's no king. There's no army. There's no anything. There are no sacrifices. The promises seem like they've just been made to come to naught. The message to Daniel is, hang on. The kingdom that is coming is better even than the promises that you know about. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God. And the saints of the highest one, to to borrow from something Daniel doesn't know about yet, the saints of the highest one will reign forever and ever. And every tear, he doesn't know about this either yet, every tear will be wiped away. there's not going to be any more sickness or any more pain or mourning or crying. Daniel doesn't know about this yet. There's not even going to be any more. Death will be no more. Death itself will be defeated. Swallowed up in Christ's victory over the grave. So, Daniel, keep on believing. Keep on believing praying keep on uh, leaning into the promises of God keep keep that window open toward Jerusalem because God's going to make good on that promise still and in your case uh, 
keep trusting. Keep, keep leaning on that promise that he will cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his promise. I know you can't see how that could possibly be now, but keep, stay there. Pray it. Keep asking in my name, in Jesus' name. Keep asking. That no matter how alone you feel, know and keep believing that you have not been forsaken. He's not left you. Uh, Father, help us to uh, help us to rest in your promises when they when the reality of them seems far away. Help us to believe, and help us to act out that belief in in prayer and how we think and how we speak and what we do. We know that your promises are sure, are certain. Help us to cling fast to our faith in every way until our faith is sight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.